You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. Hey, everybody, I'm back. It's time for American Winer on podcastdetroit.com. How the hell is everyone? Going to bring the music down here as usual. There we go. All right. I've been gone for like two weeks. It feels way longer. Uh, I had a couple of guests cancel on me, but I'm back now. We're back into the, sw- the swing of things. Um, my guest tonight, uh, returning uh, for the third time uh, <laughs> since uh, uh, December, uh, Mr. Chris Nelson. Thanks for being <laughs> Why here, do man. You have me on because <laughs> you're funny, you man. Made- <laughs> It made me eat raw oysters for the first time. Yeah, they were we, actually not bad. Yeah, we stopped at Tom's Oyster Bar on the way here and had some uh, some oysters. So that was that was an interesting experience. Uh, and then uh, the, the the other guest tonight is uh, our former boss at uh, WEMU uh, from yeah. my college days, uh, uh, news director uh, Clark Smith. Uh, Clark, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing well, Alex. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for thanks, thanks for, for coming on. Yeah, think we've been. I've been wanting to have you on since uh, since the very beginning. So I'm glad we're we're finally getting to do this. Um, and uh, I wanted to talk to you tonight. You were in radio for quite a while. You retired from WEMU in 2013, um, if I recall correctly. And, That's correct, right. Uh, and uh, I just wanted to get the this your story, man. Like like you know, how did you get started in radio, and and like you know, what kind of drove you to it? Was that originally what you wanted to do, or was uh, were you into other things originally? Uh. I would have to say, you know, when I was really like, um, I don't know, junior high, I thought being a NASCAR driver would be cool. No kidding. <laughs> you know, I was I, I was building model cars back then and, you know, having fun doing that. But um, I always, whenever I'd build a model kit or, you know, anything else that I was doing on my own, I would have the radio on. And where, you know, this was back in a time when AM radio was king. And you had your, you know, your more music stations, your top 40 stations, top 40 news, weather and sports, la da 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 And I was always listening to the radio. And then, I, you know, probably late junior high into high school, I realized that, hey, that's a pretty cool gig. At least it seems like it was. And this had a part of a function of where I grew up. And I grew up in a little place up north of Grand Rapids that had 700 people in the village at the time. No traffic lights. It had one blinker light. I mean, this is a really sparsely populated area. Uh, you know, your nearest neighbor was probably a mile away or a half mile away. Uh-huh. Um, so I grew up, you know, listening to the radio, but we didn't listen to uh, Michigan stations. We listened to WOKY out of Milwaukee. Hmm. We listened to WS and, and WCFL out of Chicago. We listened to WOWO out of Fort Wayne. You know, we listened to, you know, some of these long distance powerhouses that were doing what we thought were dynamite rock and roll formats. And they had, you know, uh, shows making fun of Batman and all kinds of other things going on. And it was just a lot of fun to listen. It was a lot of fun to be a part of it. So I thought that would be a good gig. And then in 1968, I'm, I'm really dating myself here. I'm 66 years old, by the way. Okay. <laughs> you know, in six, 1968, I'm a junior in high school. And um, I get this, they came to me and they said, hey, would you like to do this? And what the school had gotten was an invitation to send a student or two to a broadcasting workshop at Eastern Michigan University, which I'd never heard of hmm. at that point. And uh, the school said, hey, we'll pay you to get out of town and stop being a nuisance here for a week. So I did that. And I met some of the people that I would go on to work with for quite a while. And, you know, really, really good people. Uh, Sam Eiler, John Seidelman, Dick Jakes. Uh, did not meet Art Timko back then that early, but I was soon to meet him. And uh, I thought that was pretty cool. That really hooked me on broadcasting. That's when I decided that's what I wanted to do. And so the next year, my senior year, I signed up to uh, enroll at Eastern Michigan. And they didn't have a broadcasting major, but I took uh, the kinds of courses that made it close enough to that uh, where I could get the training I needed backed up with all kinds of other stuff to you know help me out. So that's how it happened. That's how I got hooked on radio. I couldn't wait to get into it. Yeah, so you were at Eastern from the very beginning then, huh? Oh, yeah. I, uh, in fact, they had a uh, a carrier current station well, broadcasting to the dorms back then, which really meant it was going nowhere. But it was like a, a <laughs> practice studio kind of thing where you could go in and, you know, uh, hone your skills at operating equipment and talking on the radio properly. 
timing out everything because everything had to be timed out. And so I did that uh, right away from my freshman year uh, on into my sophomore year. And then I was lucky enough to get hired at WEMU in my last two years of Eastern. So I was actually there as a student hmm. and, uh, you know, host, hosting, as it will, classical music shows, <laughs> which, you know, not the kind of music that I preferred. But I was, was going to say good. that that and probably wasn't that wasn't your choice, was it? That was just what they had available. Did you want to know? But I learned a lot. And that is what they had available. And, you know, it was part time. You, you signed on at three in the afternoon. And you signed off at uh, 11 o'clock at night. Were you drawn more to the music side of it or the uh, news side? Um, at that time, I wanted the music. You know, I really wanted to do host a music show. And I got to do that for a little while. Uh, they added a show called Composite. You know, everybody had a show called Composite. And it was a mix of folk rock, rock and roll uh, for the time. That was in the early 70s. So that was kind of fun to do. That was a, In fact, it was a lot of fun to do. And I look forward to doing that uh, every day. So that was pretty cool. Were you and in then the, uh, when I graduated? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, were you in the Quirk Building at first when you started there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we were in the Quirk Building, where that carrier current station changed its call letters and moved up to the old WEMU studios at some point, and WEMU moved to King Hall, and uh, you know got a power increase, and the rest, as they say, is history. So after I graduated from uh, Eastern, I got a job at a small AM/FM combo radio station near my hometown, and I worked that uh, for eight months. But you know, <laughs> you, you had to, I had to work uh, the early morning news. I had to do newscasts in the morning. Then I had to do the midday DJ shift, and then I had to go out and sell time in the afternoon. You know, sell commercials. Wow! So I got I got tired of that in a hurry. Wasn't making any money. So. You know, I went from there, uh, left radio altogether, and went into teaching for four years, and then finally back to radio at WEMU. And you were what were you teaching during those four years? I was teaching literature, speech, reading, language arts courses. Okay, I had Clark uh, for news writing my senior year at Eastern. That's right. Yeah, I remember you telling me about. It. And actually, I, I co-host another podcast with a, a girl named Erin Acamando, and she was in that same class. Yeah, so it's a small Who world. That? Uh, I'm, I'm on another podcast, not this one. It's called Motor City Music Society. I just started doing it this week. And my co-host is uh, Aaron Acamando, who is another student of yours. Oh, I remember her. Yeah. Yeah, I remember her. Um, In fact, I remember her being, you know, I remember Nelson. Uh, I nearly got him flucked out of college, but, you know, <laughs> I'm kidding. With I'm always. Kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well have. <laughs> yeah. But we're going to whine about that later because I have, uh, you know, I have a lot on my my mind about, <laughs> you know, the state of affairs these days, especially in broadcasting. But uh, it, it's been good to me. And I think I just caught it at the right time. I had a, certainly had a passion for it. And I think when I went back to WEMU, uh, well, I, I go back to my student days at WEMU. I started doing news then, along with the music shows. And I started actually going out and doing some field reporting. And that's when I really got keyed into the news. And you got to remember that time was Watergate, Nixon's resignation, um, all that stuff going on, you know, the anti-war protest. And that's when I really started to get more of an affinity for doing news than for just being a disc jockey. And, you know, no knock on disc jockeys. You know, that was a good job. But, you know, doing the news, I really felt I was doing something worthwhile and something a little more sustainable. So I got the job at, you know, that combo station up here, uh, you know, uh, up where I grew up and tried to do news there. And the boss is more interested in me selling commercials than mm. anything else. So are there you know, any, it was a good time. Are there any stories that stand out in your mind that you covered that still resonate with you today or people you interviewed? Um, I guess one of the people I interviewed was uh, the Surgeon General that put the ended up you know, getting the labels on cigarette packs. Uh, C. Everett Coop, he came to Eastern. I got to interview him. Uh, and I got a lot of politicians that came through. Uh, like, you know, you, you remember, you may not remember the Headley Amendment, which uh, changed the way property taxes are assessed around the country and, you know, how money is doled out to schools around Michigan, I should say. But uh, I got to uh, interview him at the time, uh, Richard uh, Dick Headley and uh, Bob Tisch, who had a competing ballot initiative. I think, um, 
uh, there's just been numerous people that have come through authors, musicians, uh, you know, that I can, I don't know if I could really pick out one and say that was a highlight. I can tell you, um, a horrible story that, you know, still haunts me today whenever, you know, I just happen to think about it or I see a story about, uh, uh this kind of stuff on television. Um, Back in, I think it was 1975, there was a bank robbery in downtown Ipsy at a bank that does not even there anymore. But uh, the first and only Ypsilanti police officer to be killed in the line of duty was killed in that robbery. Huh. And I was the first reporter on the scene. Uh, and, you know, there was a, the body of a, one of the robbery suspects was laying on the sidewalk outside. Uh, the, the officer was, his body was inside. A couple of the suspects had escaped, but I remember how horrified I was, you know, seeing that for the first time. Yeah. I had never, never been to that, you know, covered that kind of situation before. His name, the officer's name was Doug Downing, and uh, they still have tributes to him almost yearly up here in Ipsy, and, and that, that story still bothers me today. Yeah, I bet. Uh, other stories, the other stories that bother me probably even more are the stories where, you know, some some little kid is killed by, you know, angry parents, that kind of thing. It just drives me nuts. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> you know, there are a lot of stories that stick out, but that one about Doug Downing is probably the one that comes back most. I wonder if that Downing family is related to, I believe her name is Estelle Downing from Downing Hall at Eastern. Oh, you know, yeah. I don't think, I don't think so, but it's possible. Yeah. Hmm. I know that was a long time ago. So, uh, so how long were you, cause that would have been, you said 19, mid 1970s, right. Is when you, uh, kind of yeah. got back to WMU yeah. and started reporting and all that. So how long until well, actually I was, I was just doing that as a summer job. Oh, really? You know? Uh, yeah. Because I was teaching uh, at the time. Oh, okay. And, uh, you know, I had my summers off, so to speak, but I had to come up and, you know, when you're a teacher, everybody thinks teachers have the summers off. There's that stereotype that continues even to this day. Well, anybody who's been a teacher knows you have to keep going to school. You have to keep taking classes. You have to keep your certificate in force. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like having a license that you have to renew all the time. And so I would come to Eastern to take uh, graduate courses, you know, and uh, keep my certificate alive and well uh, so I could continue teaching. And then I would work at WEMU just to pick up a few bucks and, you know, so I could buy beer on the weekend kind of thing. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. Okay, so so because when I met you, I should say both of us met you uh, in the uh, in the fall of 2007. I was a board yeah. op for Morning Edition, and Chris did a kind of everything. I worked the, mainly. Yeah. Well, yeah, I did the front desk, and I was a music librarian. I did stuff for Linda Yawn. I was like, yeah, a, and you were in marketing. Uh, did, yeah, I mean, I organized all the pledge drive uh, food donors. I'd call restaurants and get those lined up, and. Uh, that's I did a lot can. of random stuff. <laughs> yeah, I actually really enjoyed that job uh, yeah, for too. what it was. It was a good time in my life. Uh, I did it for two years, from August of '07 to August of '09. Yeah, I was. What there I remember from, uh, most about the walking in on you, uh, wherever you were working, either up front or in the marketing offices, I thought you were drawing some pretty incredible, uh, you know, pencil drawings of cars. Oh yeah, then <laughs> Ray would come in and harass me. <laughs> you know, he's the, he's the only guy. Him and Art are the only two people that I, I stay in uh, regular touch with uh, since I retired. I see Ray every couple of weeks or so, and we go out and have lunch, and we commiserate about how terrible things are or how good things are, whatever <laughs> like that. He was. You the, know what a curmudgeon he is. Yeah, station and, uh, engineer for what since '68 or something, I think. He'd been there? Uh, yeah, he's, he was like there 45 years. I don't know. He's there a long time. He, he just retired, but, right? Yeah, he just retired uh, last year, mm. uh, or late last year, early this year. And what he did is he, uh, he bought this big home, and uh, it's a really nice place out in, uh, out in Ipsy Township. And, you know, it's a beautiful place. But, you know, once he got looking into it after they bought it, he realized that all these changes needed to be made. All these repairs needed to be made. So, you know, he's, he's got his work cut out for him now. He's, it's become a money pit for him. So he's always got something to gripe about now. <laughs> Never ends. <laughs> I remember they one, haven't even moved into it yet. <laughs> one, one time, uh, one of the coworkers was talking about the, the crack of dawn and I'm in the little kitchen at, at the station and Ray comes in and he goes, ah, yes, Don's crack. 
We, yep. should, we should say, what was what was Ray's last name? Kreiderman. Kreiderman, that's Kreiderman. right. He was the station yeah. engineer, that's right. Then Art, Art Timko was the... GM, right? The GM, yeah. yeah. He was the general manager. Great okay. guy. I yeah, mean, he was he a super laid-back boss for mm-hmm. me. He was he was always pretty pretty chill. Yeah, uh, you know, the thing is, uh, another thing that happened at WEMU was uh, John Porter, uh, the former state superintendent of education became president of Eastern Michigan University. I think it was in 1979 or 1980. But in 1981, he decided that um, they needed to build the Rec IM building. Yeah. And so in order to get money to build that, he slashed all the other departments on campus in a big way, except athletics, of course. But uh, so the station budget was cut by like 53%, more than half. We had to lay all the students off. We had to lay off almost everybody. There was only a handful of us left, the full-time staff. I think there were like five of us. And we kept that station going 19 hours a day, the minimum required to still be an NPR affiliate uh, by playing, you know, six hours of morning edition every day, six hours of all things considered every day, um, tape programs in between, a little music here and there. And uh, it was just an incredibly bad time. Yeah. How long did that last? uh, That lasted, oh, God, that lasted quite a while, actually, because at that time, they made an offer to some of the senior employees, um, you know, the ones that were allegedly making the most money. Um, They would pay half their salary for a year if they left. In other words, you leave at the end of June in 1981, and we'll pay you half your salary for the next year to help you transition to something else. Well, our station manager at the time was a fellow named Dick Jakes. He's really one of the guys that got WEMU off the ground back in the mid-60s. And uh, he took that offer. And that took our Tinko, who was program director, and made him station manager. Hmm. And uh, here he is thrust into probably the worst situation possible, you know, to take over a station and try to do something with it. When you've got no money and you've got a bare skeleton crew to keep it going, you know, the minimum hours required per day uh, to maintain NPR affiliation. But he did it. And then uh, through uh, fundraisers, all kinds of public appeals, um, good PR on his part, uh, Art slowly began to get the station on the positive side again and growing. And uh, as the time went on, we were able to have some successful fund drives. Uh, We were able to get some grants, and we were able to put more personnel back into play. And uh, by 1985, I would say, he had grown the station back almost to its original size. So it took about four or five years to get that, you know, back. Hmm. And uh, John, the president, John Porter's deal at the time was public service has to be public funded. So mm-hmm. that was his excuse for slashing our budget. And uh, it really, everybody knew us so he could build the Rec IM building. And we weren't the only ones that took a hit. We just took a bigger hit than most. Mm-hmm. So that was exciting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, so when did you become news director, though, Clark? 1983. Okay, so that was during all the all the sort of the yeah, rebuilding was after the... that time. I actually started at the station full time in 1978 as what was called news and public affairs producer, mm-hmm. and then in '82, um, the then news director or early '83, the new, then news director Sam Eiler quit, and he moved on to become director of broadcasting at Ohio State University. Well, that was a pretty big promotion for him. Yeah. So I said, you know. Uh, news director is what I always wanted to be in the first place. So I applied and was lucky enough to, to get it. Um, and I, I think that in part bears witness to somebody who's grown up in public radio as to the other people who had applied for the job, which were all from the commercial sector and wanted to sensationalize everything. I think there was, you know, a clear difference even back then that, you know, public radios will not tolerate public radio listeners won't tolerate that. Yeah. That they weren't really looking for something a little more legitimate and with more depth. So anyway, that's when I became news director. 
Okay. What you so you kind of talked about there was some after uh, John Porter cut your your budget at the beginning of the eighties. You there was uh, Art Timco came in and kind of built it back up by the mid eighties. So that was kind of a, the biggest struggle period for you guys. It sounds like. Do you have a, a memory or a time period in your mind where things were were going really well at WEMU and, and you just kind of looked around? And you're like, man, this place is really firing on all cylinders, and it's it's you know. This oh is, yeah, I would say when I first started there. I mean, they had a, a big budget, a big general fund budget, uh, did not have to do fundraising to stay alive, mm-hmm. had a very large student staff, which, you know, anybody will tell you, and this is true, uh, as you get older, you're working, you know, you bring more young people in, students who work with students, keeps the place young, keeps the place alive, keeps it vibrant, because, you know, old people like me, we get pretty stale after a while, <laughs> so, you know. I'm not going to say we get right, but we get stale. There were quite a few college students that I worked with directly, including your daughter, Meredith. Um, Yeah. She was in marketing at the time. But, uh, yeah, it was a fun, you know, environment in terms of that youthful And I would say it was even more fun back in the the late 70s and early 80s before the budget cut came along. Mm -hmm. Because we used to, you know, as crazy it was, 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 we'd go out on Friday afternoons and We'd cut off every happy hour we could, <laughs> you know, stagger home. Or, you know, we'd do something like I'd, I'd work morning edition from, you know, 4.30, 5 in the morning until, you know, 9 or 10, and uh, then finish out the day, try to get a nap, and then I'd go play, a, you know, rec- or intramural league softball with some of the, the radio station people at night. You know, so you're coming in on three, four hours sleep <laughs> all the time. But it was fun. It was really a lot of fun. We did a lot of creative things. We did made a lot of uh, little radio dramas, little radio humorous skits, uh, things that we added to the program, which really gave us a lot of color. And uh, a lot. it was a lot of fun. Did you, but, you know, after the budget cut, everything went down for quite a while. Yeah, well, and I was going to say, like, because when I, when I came in, I was only there for, like, a couple hours. I want to say, like, maybe twice a week or something. I wasn't on a whole lot, but I would just come in, right. do morning edition, and then and then uh, go to class. But um, uh, I never experienced what it was like to work at a station where you didn't have to worry about fundraisers and things like that. I remember doing the fundraisers and everyone just hating them. And, uh, and, 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 uh, I remember one time the host that I was, that I worked with was, uh, he was about to go on the air and he was like, he was like, excuse me while I begged to to the guests. And so that was just kind of, it was, you know, it it was how you kept the the place afloat. But, um, but I'd never experienced that. And and it it occurred to me that that kind of goes with everything. I never really have known a world where, where you didn't have to, to worry about, uh, funding for things like that it was just sort of it used to be the norm right in in the 50s and yeah. 60s and the early part of the 70s and then the 80s come around and public funding it gets cut pretty much everywhere gradually then well, i know pardon me that's when we saw a wholesale shift in the way the entire country approaches um public service and you know, it's uh, we can whine about that later on too. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're almost to the whining portion of the show, so we, we're we're fully loaded on the whining, probably more so than well, any anyway, show I've done before. But but anyway, you know, I I certainly had my gripes along the way, but you know, all in all, uh, working in radios, you know, was good to me, and working at WEMU was real good to me. I mean, you think about it, it allowed me to, you know, um, get married, have kids, have a house. You know, and it's not a not a great house. It's a crummy house. You know, <laughs> I drive an old car, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, nonetheless, I was able to do all those things. And um, where I really feel that today, uh, most young people, you know, that's, that's, you know, the dream is really just a dream. And uh, getting there is going to be awfully tough, if possible at all. So I'm thankful for what I was able to do. And, uh, you know, thankful for my family. Worked some mighty crazy hours during those radio years, including a few all-nighters. You know, getting the call at 2 in the morning that somebody is sick and I have to go cover for them. That was never any fun. But, you know, overall, it was all good to me. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Well, that's that's and that's the thing, man. Like I thought that you know you were going to be talking about you worked at this place and this place and this place. I've that's another thing that I'm not used to is having somebody work at the same place yeah. for 30 years. Yeah. You know, that's not and around like, anymore like, either. Jewett has oh. been there like at least 30 years, yeah. I think. And Linda well, Yon was I, there. I, I'll tell you. I'll tell you another job I had along the way is um, we won an award for some news work I had done uh, back in eighty. 
81, I think. And uh, I get a call from a guy named Fred Walters. And he wants to know if I want to come audition for him to do news. And I said, well, maybe where are you at? And he says, well, I'm at WXYZ Radio in Detroit. And I said, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I went down and auditioned for him, and they put me through a written test. And I worked for them for a while uh, doing on weekends. I had uh, Sunday, all day Sunday, doing news on what was then uh, News Talk Radio WXYZ, which became WXYT, the sports station now. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was a good gig. And, you know, you look at it this way. I did two minutes of news at the top of the hour. I did a minute at the bottom of the hour for uh, seven and a half hours a day. Actually, only six hours a day. And I got paid a hundred bucks for it. Now you, you know, that's three minutes of news per hour. That's eighteen minutes of actual on-air work, and I got a hundred bucks. Not bad. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty good pay. <laughs> Especially like even by today's standards, that's that's solid. Yeah. You know that'd be good. And I've done some voiceover work along the way, and it's paid really well. But you know, those jobs are far and few between too. I, okay, I, what are we going to whine about? <laughs> well, I was, I, I, there was one thing I wanted to say that was the one memory I have of you, Clark, uh, when you, because I remember you substituted a couple times for Morning Edition when I was on. And uh, I do remember, there, I just have to tell this story, it's quick, because uh, you, I didn't really know you at the time. It was it was right after I'd started working there, and, and uh, obviously you were my boss, and so I'd talk to you and stuff. But uh, I remember you were on air. And as you can hear now, you've got this really pleasant, you know, professorly uh, voice uh, uh, that you talk with. And uh, and you were reporting on – I don't even remember what it was. It was – it was there was some sort of outbreak or some, some disease that was going around. I don't know if it was swine flu. I don't remember exactly what it was. But I do remember that you had re- – you were reporting on the vaccinations of it. And – the 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 uh, the government was coming out and saying who would get first priority if if there was an outbreak and I remember you reported that and then you paused and you were like it won't be you and me <laughs> on the air <laughs> so, uh, that, yep. that, so that was why I was like oh this guy's got a sense of humor so but uh, but anyway yeah so that's very interesting man I mean you know 1978 you said to 2013 I mean that's one hell of a career so yeah well a lot of it was. A lot of it was fun and a lot of it was hard work, but it all, like I say, it all panned out. We used to do things behind the scenes like, you know, somebody be on the air reading news and we'd walk in and set their copy on fire and walk out. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, we, we used to do awful things like that. Yeah, well, that's all that happy you know, hour, uh, you know, <laughs> get back from happy hour. And well, you someone. know, back then, you know, we're, you know I'm talking about days when we were getting minimum wage, so we had to entertain ourselves. Uh. <laughs> But, you know, even minimum wage back then bought a lot more than it does now. So you could almost live on it. Yeah, yeah. It's nowadays minimum wage is like a... What? Can we tell yeah, a story about <laughs> Oh, yeah, sure, yeah, go yeah. for it. Yeah, just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wasn't there, but... Yeah, well, there was... I, I, really quick, and then I'll ask you guys what we want to whine about, because we got, we got almost half an hour for that, but... Uh, Another story, Nelson just brought this up and he wasn't sure if if we wanted to tell it or not, but Clark, another story that I have of you, it was right after I'd met you. Then I should, just for context, uh, uh, back in those days, I had long hair, long greasy hair. I was not particularly put together that well. (laughs) I I very, I embraced my slackerdom quite, quite a a bit more than I do now. Um, but I remember I was talking to you, Clark, in the, in the newsroom. And uh, it was, I don't even think I'd started working yet. This might have been like right after you hired me and you were just kind of giving me the lay of the land and, and all that. And I remember that uh, I, I was, you were sitting in one of the, the computers and uh, I was kind of standing there awkwardly. I don't know if I was waiting for something to be printed out or whatever, but I remember you kind of were like trying to make conversation with me and you said something about the weather. And I remember I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, the weather is, uh, you know, it's it's good. There's something to that effect. There's something to completely anodyne. And you like you looked at me and you were like, Jesus Christ. And you turned <laughs> So, well, you know. You know, things I would lose board ops on morning edition quite frequently because the hours were horrible. Uh-huh. You, know, you had to be there by, uh, well, originally it was like 545 in the morning, and then it was 5 in the morning yep. that you had to be there. And, um, you know, it's for some of you, it was a long drive or a fairly long drive. And so you had to get up even earlier. Plus, you had to go to classes and maybe work another job after that. I mean, those hours are killer. 
So you know, only certain kinds of people can do it. And you did well. You really did. Yeah, no, you know, I, I I really enjoyed you it. Were, and then, you were there. You were there working your butt off while Nelson was sleeping in. Yeah, that's, <laughs> well, uh, the thing is, it worked for me because I lived on campus, so I didn't have to drive in. I would just and, yeah. well, and usually right. I would stay yeah. up so late anyway that a lot of the times I just didn't even go to bed. I would just I would just get <laughs> I would just go right to work and then sleep when I came home, depending on you know what day it was. But uh, but yeah, that's I enjoyed it. I, I very much enjoyed that uh, that job, and it was only I was only there from. Uh, for the school year, I was I started in September and then I was done in March. Uh, but anyway, um, so so yeah, uh, what do you guys want to whine about? I know we have numerous topics, but Clark, we'll start with you. What do you want to whine about? Well, um, it's kind of like this whole job scenario the way it is now, and connected to some of the other things I said previously. But um, uh, it's time to bring Chris into this. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think uh, Chris Nelson is an incredibly talented young fella. And uh, I would hire him back in radio if I had the ability to do that. Uh, I would, you know, put into work. You know, he's a, he's a photographer. He's an artist. He's a musician. Um, you know, you've done marketing stuff before. You've done a lot of various tasks. You've been to Specs Howard, right? You went to Specs. Yeah, after Eastern. You're valedictorian at Specs, yeah. aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> he went, to, you know, camera he went to Eastern Michigan, where you did, took some broadcasting courses, I assume. Yeah, well, my he went to Specs yeah. Howard. And went to Specs Howard School of what they call it media arts now or in communications, whatever. And, you know, you spend a lot of money there. That school is not cheap. And, uh, but, you know, you come out with all these skills and all this experience and all these classes behind you, and you can't get a freaking decent job in the industry because there are none. If I had it to do over, if I could have crystal balled, you know, the future back in 1968, I never would have gone into radio. Oh, really? I mean, I, I could see it was dying then. Yeah. Uh, NPR was coming on in the 70s and, you know, established a new level of operations for people looking for good work in radio. So that helped. But, um, you know, as far as, you know, the disc, the king disc jockey jobs, you know, the news anchor jobs, even in the major markets just dried up. They're almost not existent anymore. I remember. Uh, you take a look at the Detroit television stations. Those people are making very little money compared to what they made before. Yeah. Yeah. Jo- um, Joanne you know, Burton, yeah. I believe, is her name. They're letting her yeah. go to cut some. Yeah. Another thing budget. I can whine about. But th- that grinds yeah. me because I would like you to have at least the same opportunity that I had. And the reason we don't is because there's been a solid attack <laughs> on the middle class since at least the mid eighties when Reagan came into office, mm-hmm. uh, you know, slow wearing away, wearing down of unions and union power, slowly, you know, taking, uh, more jobs to automation or taking them overseas where you can hire somebody for a buck a day or two bucks a day rather than, you know, seven bucks an hour. And that's just wrong, but it's the way this country has been going since at least that time. And I think that it's really coming back to bite us big time now because you've got, you know, a lot of people like yourself that are still looking for sustainable employment and it's just not there unless you're in a very specialized field. So I want to whine about that. That bugs me. I think Chris deserves better. And I think you do too, Alex. Oh, thank you. (laughs) But not you. (laughs) Well, I'm actually kind of, I'm lucky in the sense that I found a job that is sustaining me. Um, it, but the the thing is, is it has absolutely nothing to do with the degree that I paid. Because we for. have the same degree, right? Yeah, yeah, we do. We do have the same degree. We, we were in the same program. But I and I'm very thankful for that job, as I've said before. But it's 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 not my forte. It is not. Sure. You know, I'm functional at it, and I, I I do what I can to to earn my my uh, salary. But uh, but um, I'll tell you what. You know, it's it's uh, it's it's a grind, man. Like you and and even in that industry is not stable. Like I've been, I've worked at, I mean, I've been doing it for four years and I've worked at how many places now? Like, like six, six or seven. And not, oh, I've never even been let go. It's all been, well, I mean, I've been, I've been laid off. I've never been fired, but uh, it's just cause yeah. it's so you get on one project and the project ends. And then, but yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's, it, there's, those are your choices is you do. What I do is, uh, you know, when you, uh, you get into, uh, to one particular, uh, field that you can find that that pays you enough to live and then you just eke it out in that field or you're like uh you're like chris who just um 
has to who just keeps looking and 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 you know does what he yeah. can and and in a lot of cases you you kept going you're still taking classes aren't you like you're just well, just to yeah, keep I your mind fresh you know? of, yeah in 2014 I went back and took an After Effects course and a Photoshop graphics course and then and then I thought about getting another degree altogether because uh, my dad said he'd pay half tuition uh, and that was for supply chain at state and I. I did a year of prereqs to get in the business school and realized it wasn't for me. It, my mm-hmm. heart was not in that. Yeah. And I just hated it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, well, it's a good career though, you know, monetarily. But, you know, well, it's like if you yeah. hate yourself doing it, is it worth it? I don't know. Some people say yes, but, some don't. And I, I don't know. I, I found myself really unhappy going that route. Well, yeah, if, if you take a job you absolutely hate, you're, you're going to end up hating yourself yeah. you know, forever. You're going to be so miserable. I mean, I love teaching. I enjoyed teaching. You know, I couldn't believe how what a rewarding opportunity that was for me to teach, and I enjoyed it. And but I got laid off every year. <laughs> so, oh, and oh, there yeah. was no money. <laughs> you know, every spring I'd get laid off, and then in August would come along, and I'd get a call saying, "Oh, we can rehire you." You know, come on back. And I said, "Well, this is now what I call job security." <laughs> so, yeah, definitely. I moved back to radio. Yeah, I remember. It's funny that you know. <laughs> that radio offers more job security than teaching, but it did at the time. <laughs> but, you know, Chris has had to work, you know, retail jobs from time to time. I made to, more I assume, as a... You know, just to earn some cash, yeah. or, you know, or you get bored, whatever. I made but, more... I mean, that's that's not satisfying. No. I worked at Lowe's for a while, and I made more money there than I did as a reporter. <laughs> yeah, because you... Oh, yeah. Nelson, you worked at uh, Oakland, right? Oakland Press. I worked at for, Oakland Press. That's when you were a reporter, I worked yeah. at Heritage Newspapers, which no longer exists. Mm-hmm. Um, that both companies were owned by a hedge fund, I think, is uh, in uh, New York, and they kind of, you know, killed it. I worked in the death rattle of the newspaper. Yeah, well, and that's it was, what the hedge funds are all set yeah, up for. <laughs> it was an interesting experience, and I, I would have stayed there, but it wasn't like there's literally maybe two or three people that I worked with still there at the paper. Everyone else is gone. Mm-hmm. They were laid off or you know left for other work or whatnot. But um, yeah, it was it was sad because it was an interesting job, and I really enjoyed. What I did, you know, covering interesting things, and um, and I did some, uh, you know, on camera work too for the website. So it was kind of, you know, in my skills of what I wanted to do. Yeah, you were doing local news. You were, yeah, I remember, yeah, I remember hanging yeah. out with you, and you'd be like, it was "Oh yeah, this is what I'm working on." Low pay, high stress, you know, but it was an interesting job, and I I do miss it, you know, because <laughs> you sit in other offices and people don't talk about the news much i'm like ah oh, what's going on what's going on yeah yeah but there's nothing quite like sitting in a newsroom and you know talking about everything and like being the pipeline you know yeah. that, that yeah. you're it's like yeah, everybody's got their face on a phone now so yeah they're posting <laughs> memes to facebook <laughs> that's where they get their news that's sad yeah clark uh so you uh you know i haven't talked about you being an actor too you know i called you an artist but uh you know, I've seen, uh, what was it, a couple of scenes from the Tales of Roth City, is that it? Yeah, Memoirs of Roth City. It's not, Memoirs of Roth City. Yeah, yeah, that's coming out later this year. I think there's two more scenes are going to shoot this spring when the weather's better. And if all goes to plan, they'll premiere that late 2018. Um, so late this year then? I believe so. Mm-hmm. You'll have to talk to Justin about that for sure. Mm-hmm. That's As far as I know, that's the plan. But yeah, no, I I do character acting. I'd like to do more of it. I just got a new reel done that uh, Justin, my friend, edited for me, who's the director of this project. But Ah. uh, yeah, that's kind of like, you know, if I'm not doing news on camera, um, which is originally I wanted to anchor at a station. um, That was kind of my goal. But um, I always enjoy the acting aspect and said, you know, I should be doing that on the side some more to just kind of, you know, keep me going as a passion. Hey, Alex, thing. I think let's send Chris to Hollywood. Well, it's fun. <laughs> I was actually just going to say, Clark, me and him are going out to LA because my brother lives out there now uh, in uh, May for my birthday. And Chris is going to look at uh, potentially moving out there himself because both my brother has moved out there in the past couple of years. My sister moved out there last fall. Uh, both of them are living with old friends of ours from high school. They've all and they've all established themselves. So he sees that 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 can be done, 
And so it sounds like you're starting yeah. to. I would love to write for like Colbert or something. That would be such an. Yeah. Well, he's in New yeah. York, but, but uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, James Corden's out there. Yeah, and, and Jimmy uh, Kimmel, Kimmel, and yeah. uh, and uh, I think Fallon's in New York again too. It used Fallon's to be out in New York. Fallon's in New York. Yeah. yeah. I think you'd be good at that. It's kind of you know, like using Jeff, the reporting writing Daniels skills. Before other, you go. Yeah. Get with Jeff Daniels before you go and get a few contact names and then head out. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about looking into the Purple Rose Theater for stuff. I haven't done theater since high school, but um, that was that was a fun. Yeah, Alex and I were in some shows together. Yeah, that's actually. how we met. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've known each other since two thousand four. Yeah, somewhere in there. Yeah, somewhere in that era. But yeah, we did uh, we did theater, and that was that was the best year of high school for me. It was that year that I did the theater. I wish I would have done it the other years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but yeah, man. I mean, so that's that's definitely a possibility, and that's. Excuse me, getting back to what Clark was talking about in terms of just the general situation that we find ourselves in, a lot of that is not as true. Like, it's not nearly as bleak out on the coasts or in certain, you know, like in Chicago or down in Texas and things like that. It's Michigan, Atlanta. Yeah, Atlanta is booming right now. And, and, you know, this is an election year. It's it's totally possible that uh, if we get a new governor, well, I mean, we'll have a new governor, but depending on who it is, I can see it going either way. We may get that film credit back. And then maybe some jobs like that will start sprouting up in Michigan again. Uh, so, well, you know, interesting you should mention that because I'm, I'll do this quickly. But, um, you know, there are parts of Ypsilanti that were absolutely devastated by the downturn in the auto industry. This town was completely uh, dependent upon automotive stuff mm-hmm. for so long. But, you know, it's come back, come back, and it's, it's still coming back. Uh, the family and I went out to cultivate coffee in Depot Town tonight. And this is something I never thought I'd see, but I, I'm so... Uh, I'm just gratified to see it. This is a nonprofit coffee and brew house that donates every, all its profits, you know, after cost to ending ha- hunger. Hmm. Hmm. And they got a th- big thing on the wall. You know, our goal is to end hunger by 2030. And I mean, they, they've got, they keep tally of how much money they've donated, how many volunteer hours. So, I mean, if anybody's going to turn this place around, it's not the old white-haired people like me or our current governor. It's going to be the young people like you. Yeah. And like a lot of the millennials, they call them millennials, that were out marching in protest of gun violence today. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's where the hope is. Definitely. And I didn't know that about Cultivate. I've been there a couple of times. Yeah, we went to the filmmaker thing. Yeah, there's a filmmaker meeting that occurs uh, once a month there. Um, I think it's once a month. I think Um, it's this Thursday. But. uh, Oh, tomorrow, I yeah, believe. Yeah, yeah, tomorrow. I was already. like, what day is it? <laughs> what um, day is it, Chris? I know. What year is it? <laughs> um, but that's that's great. And you know what? That is that type of conscientiousness of you know of of companies and businesses making the choice to do that sort of uh, uh, like making the cho- like we're not going to take this money for ourselves. We're going to put it towards the good of society. Making the choice to do that that is going to be what uh, what saves the not just the country but the globe because we can't continue on with this just this uh blind greed that we've been had that we've had going on since the 80s like you mentioned clark well exactly and i mean you know i i think about my older brother who got into computers back in 1963 when they were just beginning you know when a computer filled a whole room just to Mm. you know process a little bit of data with punch cards and now look where we've come but you know that that sustained him because he got on the ground floor of that. What is the ground floor now? Well, the ground floor is going to be, uh, you know, these smaller operations of, you know, entrepreneurs like the people at Cultivate Coffee. And you're right, we can't sustain the greed. I mean, I really think it is the greed and, while, you know, the way people invest money more than do actual work in order to make money mm-hmm. is what's keeping the country down. Manufacturing's gone away. I mean, what's left if we can't have good jobs for our young people? Uh, then we're all in trouble. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's globalization in general, and you know we had this amazing boom of technology and innovation and, and productivity and things over the past again the eighties, you know, thirty years, and uh, and that's great. But the problem is, is that the 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 benefits of that only went to the people that owned everything instead of yep. instead of the people that were actually making it happen. I mean, yeah, they got some of it that we got, but you can look at any chart and and wage growth has not matched productivity even slightly. It's it's a it's a completely uh different uh uh 
you know, you look at the chart and it's just, it's a, it's a huge gap. So, um, yeah. I'll tell you what, it, it, it needs to be, uh, there needs to be a different approach here. And, and, you know, I mean, we can, uh, we can talk about how to, how to make it happen. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a centrist when it comes to a lot of this stuff, but I definitely like the, the American oligarchy needs to go. I'll say that like flat out, yeah. you know, those guys are, yeah, are I done. Agree. So, but, um, I mean, you know, Hey, Chris, real quick. If you join uh, Warren Buffett's company, Berkshire Hathaway, you know the investment firm. Yeah. If you if you could get hired in as you know a mail you know mail delivery guy there, if you do it now, he's offering a million dollars to anybody heard, that completes their heard NCAA about that. bracket correctly. Warren Buffett is. You yeah. Rich quick, buddy. Yeah, Warren Buffett is. And if no one gets it, and they're like the closest, I think they get a hundred thousand dollars a year. Yeah, hundred k forever comes closest. Holy moly! I that, guess I should. Uh, learn I'm gonna freaking do basketball. that, man. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the teams, man. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that is crazy. Hundred k for life. Even that, you know, that's pocket change to a billionaire. Literally, it's like a dollar oh, yeah. to a billionaire, and that would change. Any regular person's life. How so, old is well, you he? know, he's in his there again, though, he's you know, he's a different kind of rich guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, he gave his kids uh, a big money, you know, but he told them that they couldn't have it unless they did something worthwhile to give back to the country, right. you know, to their communities. Mm-hmm. Other, you know, and if they didn't, they didn't get a dime. So, you know, oh, that man. was kind of a different approach. Yeah, yeah, that's and you know. Like like I was saying before, it's the choice that needs to be made. I I don't think that obviously the law matters and government needs to do more to you know regulations are you know as long as they're uh, not uh, overdone are, are a good thing. But uh, I think that it's it's better if people just know that like this is the this is the right thing to do and you don't have to f- use the government to force them to do it. I know that in a lot of cases you do. You you just it's just how people are. You're not gonna like. I think I like you know. There's that old statistic about how uh, sociop- sociopaths comprise like a certain percentage of, yeah. of CEOs because it's that's just the personality type that you need in order to succeed in that particular position. Um, wow! But uh, it's it's uh, but it's it's still it's it's still there are a lot of good people like cultivate you know and, and that's another thing. This country did way better, and I know we can't go back to this, but this country did way better when we had businesses that were regional that 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 was as big as they got because they were big enough to be useful and to be uh productive and things but they weren't so huge that they could blot out all other competition yeah. and and become monopolies and all that stuff and i know again with them with globalization and all that stuff we're not we cannot go back we will always need big corporations for things like cars and computers and things and they yeah. do serve a purpose but that doesn't mean they should get to say how everybody else lives or or you know dictate legislation and things like yeah. that so. But, you know, I feel like I'm monopolized a lot of the time. I see, you know, we're getting close to the time we have to go. But I want to hear more whining from Chris. Yeah, man. So <laughs> we jump in. About yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we've, we mentioned before talking about maybe like uh, commercial radio now and how corporate a oh, lot yeah, of it has right. become. It's like. What clear channel and cumulus? Yeah, again, that? that's the that's getting to the whole monopolization of everything. It's yeah. like a couple of companies own freaking everything in every s- field. I was going to say I barely listen to FM radio now. I mean, I never. I always preferred CDs. I'm old school uh-huh. and listening oh, to yeah. rare Zep, you know, bootlegs and whatnot. But it's like last month I turned on you know FM to some rock station. They're playing freaking love shack and then i turn the channel and they're playing love shack on the next channel I and said, that's like a 30 year old song. song it's like who listens to that voluntarily it's not even like you listen to the modern stations like, you know like uh like 96.3 and and what's another one like i don't even know 98.7 and like yeah like their playlists are like 20 songs at any given moment and it's yep. it's just those those ones and it i mean we know Years ago, I used to listen to CSX because it was classic rock, and they had a pretty broad playlist. Right, and they had specialized shows, specialized shows on the weekends. Now they don't anymore. It's all that same short list. Although Chris would be happy, they play a lot of Led Zepp. There you go. They need to play the deeper <laughs> cuts. That's the thing. They always play the same five songs. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I, I got to ask though, because we got about four minutes here. What is the solution to all this? In, in your guys' opinion, Clark, we'll start with you. Like, and just sum up in your your thoughts on like, what do you think? How do we get out of this? Because this topic comes up quite a bit when people want to whine. Yeah. Is is okay, just now, I, so? I think for one thing, it, we start with the basic economy of the country. 
the way government is funded and you know government is is exists to serve people and the way it's been since Reagan came into office and even a little bit of that with Nixon in office but the way it's been since Reagan you know in 1980 was uh you know all, they're trying to change government to serve individuals who are in government to get richer those that are at the top to get richer mm-hmm. actually making money off government forget the constituents forget the citizens now the first Republican president I remember was Dwight Eisenhower. Back when he was president, the top tax rate in America was like 90 or 92 percent. Yeah. And that's what the wealthy paid. He also built the interstate uh, freeway system. Mm-hmm. You know, it was all for the common good. And then you follow that, you know, when uh, uh, Kennedy came in, he was, a, you know, a populist president. A lot of it had to do with how do you benefit the whole country and not just small segments of it. And we saw growth in the country. We saw growth in the economy. Uh, the same way, you know, when Johnson uh, continued after Kennedy was assassinated, we saw social gains that we thought were impossible. And then all of a sudden, you know, it starts to end when you get, you know, another Republican in office and then the Democrat. We had some growth under Clinton for a while. And we certainly, um, you know, Obama, the, the Democratic uh, President Barack Obama, had to bail the country out of what the Republicans had done to it. So I think we go back to the way it used to be where you have politicians and those serving government at all levels who are interested in doing their jobs well and doing their jobs on behalf of the citizens and not lining their own pockets. Mm-hmm. That's number one. Well, there you go. That, that's and, 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 you know, the thing is, is history moves in cycles. You know, we go through these these periods, we had the Great Compression, which has started with the New Deal and ended with Reagan, and now we've—I mean, we just literally had the Great Recession uh, this yeah. last decade. So it's, and now you see it, it happening again, like with with social media and things. People are really out there and and, and they're doing their thing. And I, I, you know, I'll be honest, I don't agree with everything that I see, uh, but I think the fact that it's happening, like it did in the '60s, is that alone is good. That was that is that was literally the whole point of why this country was founded. Mm-hmm. was for people to be participating and that's how things happen so there you go i'm tired of lobbying lobby Lob- <laughs> lobby you know, i was going to say lobbying lo- <laughs> i switched my word <laughs> no, but yeah, lobby, yeah. Lobbying, that's what yeah. that's what clark was talking about right. which is the no more uh, using the government to en- enrich yourself it's a, it's a public service public I worry about cutting the banking regulations again, getting rid well, of Well, yeah, and you know, there's another thing. I'm going to whine about this. Our two senators, Kavanaugh and Peters, both voted in favor of cutting those regulations. Yeah. And yeah. I've asked them both why, and I haven't gotten an answer yet. Well, I'm a little pissed about that. Well, yeah, a lot of the corporate Democrats nowadays, it's like, we'll sell you out to the good billionaires. You know, that's that's kind yeah. of their, their platform. But anyway, we got to, we got to wrap this up. Uh, so, uh, guys, thanks, thanks so much for coming on. This is a great discussion. Um, well, thank you. Yeah. And, and Clark, uh, it's, it's always great to talk to you, man. And, um, and thanks for telling us about your career and, uh, and I'll talk to you soon, man. So, uh, so you right, can st- stay on the line and once we're off the air, I'll, I'll say a proper goodbye to you on, on, on the Skype. I'll bring you up again, <laughs> but, okay. but, uh, but yeah, so, uh, Nelson, thank you so much for coming yeah. on and I'll have you on again. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody have a great week and I will be back on Monday.